0: Hello! Welcome to Cap Times Talks, a podcast bringing you smart conversations about big topics in our city. On today's show, should high schools be in the sports business? There's no doubt that Wisconsin communities are passionate about high school athletics. Earlier this week, Cap Times news editor Jason Joyce led a discussion at Memorial High School, sponsored by Home Savings Bank, about the role sports play in schools in 2018. The conversation touched on things like the spirit of competition, research on the medical consequences of play, and whether high school sports reflect the values of our broader community. The panel featured David Bell, director of the Wisconsin Injury in Sport Laboratory.
1: The number one reason why kids play sports is because it's fun, right? And the number one reason why
0: kids drop out of sport is because it's not fun anymore. Alex Mundy, the coach of the West High School Girls Ultimate Frisbee Club Team.
2: Ultimate is one of those communities that you can play when you're 6 and you can play when you're 60.
0: Eric Bertrand the Big 8 High School Conference Commissioner and the Director of Operations for the Capital East Soccer Club.
3: When it comes to officials, types of derogatory comments they are subject to at times, it's sort of in, you know, indicative of how our society has become more hostile and less tolerant of, of people in general. Will Green, the co-founder of
0: Mentoring Positives and the La Follette High School girls basketball coach.
3: Whatever we're doing
4: in, in this world comes down to relationships, right? Um, how do you build those relationships?
0: And Jeremy Schlitz, Athletic Director for the Madison Metropolitan School District.
5: No longer does the society value the role player. Um, it, it values the superstar much too much and success much too much. So no longer do people want to play for the love of the game.
0: Okay, let's dive in. We'll start with Will Green fielding a question about how he handles the expectations of parents as a coach. I hope you enjoy the talk.
4: You know, I, I, I run a mentoring program outside of the basketball um, coaching job that I have. And um, so when I knew I was taking this job, I was, I was equipped to deal with parents because um, I've always dealt with, um, you know, pretty high-range parents, um, that, you know oftentimes would come to their kids rescue um, not in the most positive way right um, <laughs> they, they like to support their kid but it's not in the most positive way so I, you know I just prepare myself and try to proact um, and give kids the opportunity to not um, fall in the trap of You know, um, why didn't they get to play so many minutes? Um, I oftentimes challenge them to see how did they prepare themselves for this opportunity. So, um, And I think you got to give parents um, the opportunity to come and meet with you and have an open communication um, to talk with them. So um, my door is always open, um, um, no matter what the situation is. Um, We as coaches deal with a lot of tough situations. Um, People wouldn't understand that I dealt with some type of issue before every game this year <laughs> outside of basketball, and so, and, you know, you got to keep a straight face and keep, keep going, and so um, it's a joy, though, man. I, I just love working with kids and family, so.
6: Alex, you're, you're coaching an alternative sport, um, and so unlike Coach Green, who has, you know, kids lined up, to, to try out for that team every year and they're in, they've been playing the game since they were, you know, eight, eight or nine years old. Um, what attracts athletes um, to your program at West and, and who, are you, who are you getting to come out for the team?
2: That is a great question. Um, we do have a little bit more of an alternative uh, sport, like you say, um, but we, we get athletes that range from um, ex-soccer players to swimmers to volleyball players Um, and, yeah, kind of across the board, but they... uh, We draw them in because of the team, Um, and it's really, I mean, I do my due diligence as the coach, but um, it's really the girls and the atmosphere that we create that that brings them in. Um, Our captains are fabulous. Um, They do all of our recruiting. Um, Our girls... um, During the school year, have spirit days. Um, We uh, play exposition games, um, do all kinds of things to really just... Build the morale of of the team, so that the girls are kind of spreading the word about how awesome the team is, um, how inclusive it is. Uh, we don't cut any of our um, girls who come out to play. If you come out to play with us, you are welcome on the team, no matter what skill level you have. Um, I think that's another thing that draws um, our athletes too is that it's not. Um, it is it is a very athletic and competitive game, but um, even if you can't maybe run as fast as the top athlete, you are still um, given playing time and get to come out and train. Um, So yeah, I think those are some of the biggest aspects.
6: I know a little bit about your program um but could you explain a little bit about sort of the the commitment level again you're you're working outside of the traditional varsity three sport three season um structure so what does a school year look like for um an ultimate player at west Um,
2: uh i'd actually slightly disagree with that statement um we practice all year round um so we're really a full year um full year sport we have our captains um, start captains' practices um, early fall, and then we train inside in the winter. And then our um, our regular game season is in the spring. Um, but um, yeah, they um, they practice all year long, um, and
6: they're playing games, league games during the week and then traveling to tournaments in some cases. Right.
2: Yep. And i can you repeat the question? We
6: no, I was just, just, I, I, am not sure how, how many of our audience understands like what a high school ultimate team looks like. We know, you know, football teams play on Friday nights under the lights in the big stadium, but like where do the ultimate kids play and what does their competition look like?
2: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So we, and we, um, we practice, um, four to five days a week. Um, we start going to tournaments even in the fall. Um, they're a little bit more relaxed um, and just kind of building skill level in the fall. Um, then we usually travel to about um, four tournaments in the spring. Um, one of one of them is here. Uh, we just had uh, the mud bath um, tournament actually here at Memorial. Uh, it was a great turnout. Um, and then, yeah, we travel um, to Illinois. Um, we go to Minnesota and Iowa. Um, and then we'll be doing our second year um, at the Nationals tournament um, this,
6: uh, this June. Eric, as the commissioner of the big eight, can you just explain a little bit about sort of what, your job is and what it entails and how you interact with the athletes and the coaches?
3: Sure. Well, um, primarily I'm the assigner for all varsity athletics for officials. I also make the schedules for varsity and sub varsity sports, the uh, competitive sports or the traditional, the WIA sports. I'm not involved in ultimate or lacrosse. Um, In a nutshell, that's it. The the officials' piece of it is huge, assigning officials.
6: Um, So I guess dovetailing off of that, and and also I'm aware that... um, I believe you taught a soccer clinic for my son when he was four years old. And I know that you work the sidelines at um, Badger soccer games. So you really are involved with athletes in this community from the first experience that they have kicking a ball around to, you know, the height of, of their, of, you know, of their athletic um, career. So this is a big question. Um, But do you believe our athletic programs reflect our community values? Well,
3: uh, yes, I think uh, athletics are a reflection of the community and the society, and certainly, when it comes to officials and the um, types of um, derogatory comments they are subject to at times, it, it's sort of in, you know indicative of how our society has become more hostile and less tolerant of. Um, of people in general. It's not just athletics, it's, it's our, the world we're in today. Um, and it's not a new phenomenon, it's been progressing over the years. Um, as far as, a, yeah, so I think it is a reflection of the community and there's, there's some other key points as to why it is that way, uh, just the societal part. But I, I'll add to that. Um, I think parents have expectations. Um, and maybe I'm going off, off track a little bit. Oh, this is fine. Um, with club sports, uh, there's pay to play models. I mean, you'll probably get into this a little bit, but parents, uh, and kids experience one sort of set of parameters in a pay to play environment. And then when they transition to a high school environment, it may or may not be equivalent, it may be better, it may be worse. Uh, that doesn 't necessarily change the expectations that people have high demands on their coaches, high demands on the officials and you know so that adds to some of the stressors that that are involved with high school um, participation
6: that's a, I think that 's a question i 'd like to throw open to anyone who's who's interested in an, in answering um, from from your perspective, seeing the way Athletes interact with each other, probably primarily, but also with officials, coaches, parents—that whole sort of sports ecosystem. Um, do you think athletics reflect reflect our community, reflect our society? I could jump in. I at mean, at this think, point in
5: 2018, um, obviously, you know, the the saying "life imitates art" I think is, is holds true here with, with athletics as well. And our goal is really to make our athletic programs reflective of our schools and that's a positive way to look at it. I think sometimes we look at that as athletics being reflective of society in a negative way, and it doesn't have to be that way. Um, I think we can celebrate the successes, the diversity, the uniqueness, the participation, and all those things through education-based athletics. Um, I don't think that necessarily, to to piggyback on Eric's comment, is true in club sports. Anytime you're paying somebody for an experience, um, I devalue it uh, from an education-based athletics standpoint. I hope to uh, Find a way to support our school-based athletics to give them the experience that they need to grow as individuals and as athletes where we wouldn't need to have that pay-to-play type atmosphere which i think sometimes drives the negatives and uh, we try to celebrate the positives obviously
6: anybody else want to weigh in on that one i just remember um, um I remember very few quotations from Bo Ryan, but I remember this one, um, when uh, he, people were sort of hammering him on, um, this was before he had gotten to a Final Four, and they were sort of hammering him on his lack of success in the NCAA tournament. And he said, you know, um, winning trophies is great, um, but chasing trophies is pretty fun. Um, do you get that impression from the athletes that you're dealing with, that, that they enjoy the journey as much as the, the championship or as much as the W every time? Coach Green?
4: I think about the different venues, right? <clears throat> it's about the school and the atmosphere, where they come from. You know, you have a winning culture or winning tradition, then, yeah, it's fun. Um, if you don't come from a space where you, <laughs> you don't win that much, um, maybe not necessarily that fun. Um, and and you know, I find myself in that space, um, as people in the community tell me La Follette is called laugh a lot. <laughs> and um, you know, we we changing the culture. So I I you know, I've been in sports all my life and it's it's like Jeremy said, it's like um you know, I think it's, you know we model what we see right it's like a a, a child in a home um so if your parent is in the home and it's it's a negative atmosphere you you're more than likely gonna find that neg- negativity so um like you said, we're trying to create a positive atmosphere. It's my job as a coach to impose positivity in your most um your most trying times right and so your your team is gonna um pretty much you know kind of transpire what you give them, and so man chasing chasing the w's chasing the w's is fun, um, especially when you can create a culture where you are kind of grabbing that team and, and bringing it bringing it home and so you know it's it's, it's tough it's, it's tough out here um, it really is because if you think about the four city schools it's very different for us when you have to go out to a middleton or Verona or some prairie, right? You you know, I got kids that go and look at those facilities and those spaces and be like, "Whoa, like that stuff really shows that you care about a kid and you care about a program." And so, you know, we have to really grab our kids and really like give them that positivity and um and you have to cheerlead these kids a lot and you really have to put a lot of a lot of time and effort into like creating that positive positive spirit.
6: That's great. I definitely want to get back to that. David?
1: Yeah, so um, just a couple things. One is that the research shows that the number one reason why kids play sports is because it's fun, right? And the number one reason why kids drop out of sport is because it's not fun anymore. And so um, just kind of keep that in the back of your mind, right? That's one of the reasons why a lot of kids drop out. But I think also that What might kind of get to your question about you know are we what are we doing right in high schools and and sports and how does that reflect our values you know we surveyed about a thousand parents recently and asked them you know how much do you spend on your kids high school sports and how much do you spend on your kids club sports and the average that people were spending on their kids high school sports was probably about Two hundred and fifty dollars, and then the average that they're spending on their kids' club sports, it was closer to 2000 dollars, and with many parents reporting to us that they easily spend ten thousand dollars per sport uh, per kid per year, and so um, you know I don't think that's the kind of values that we want to we want to reflect. I mean, for for there are certainly problems in high school sports, but I think that's one of the great things is that there's a really low cost of entry and so that makes it much more um, accessible to a lot of kids that might not be able to pay those club sport fees and so if we you know if we're getting to the this pay for play model then i think that that's a problem right because now we're not going to be able to we're, we're shutting kids out of that system rather than embracing them into it
6: alex i'd like to um explore a little bit with you about um how how ultimate works and in in particular the fact that um ultimate at the high school level as well as up to the the highest levels of the sport is not officiated um and there are a lot of sort of values that are built into that um and i believe players take that pretty seriously um first of all i guess are your players pretty receptive to to that way of of running a sport um and and second what i mean i guess what do you hear from from players who are coming from other sports and uh you know and trying to adapt to that
2: great questions um yeah so we have what's called spirit of the game um in ultimate frisbee um, and it's where our players self-officiate on the field um so they are required to learn the rules and call their own um fouls uh i mean across the board they um, they act as their own refs on the field um, and they usually love it, um, because what it fosters is this community of um, communication, just within the sport, um, where if a foul is called, they play stops, they will talk it out. Um, as, as the player who calls the foul, you get to talk about why you called it. Um, the player who potentially did the foul uh, gets to explain whether or not they think it was a foul or not. Um, and you can have open disagreements. If it's a you know, contested foul, then the disc goes back, um, so that neither the offense nor the defense gains um, any kind of benefit, but, um, but play goes on. And um, yeah, it's one of the biggest things that I love about the sport, um, and especially with you know, being on the sidelines as the coach. Um, we actually are not allowed to make any kind of comments when a foul is called. Um, so we have to just let our players talk it out. They might make the wrong call, they might make the right call, um, but it's something we can talk about when they come off the field. Um, but players love having that responsibility um, and it really kind of fosters that sense of um, uh, just sportsmanship um, uh, within our sport. Um, and coming from other sports, it's very interesting to see, um, see the different opinions about it. Um, I know when I was growing up, I, I played soccer, um, and then moved on to ultimate. Um, and in soccer, where it's officiated by refs, um, you know, your attitude is kind of, you know, you're gonna be as physical as you can until the ref calls it. Um, but within ultimate, you really have to be on your own, um, uh, playing on your own terms in terms of um, making sure you're you're not um, following other players because someone on the field is gonna call it and when they do you have to own what happened um and it's not up to a ref to kind of figure it out um so you're held to i think a higher standard um i would say in that respect
6: um, david i wanted to talk to you about uh, a particular aspect of high school sports which which i think a lot of people are talking about and that's football and um the question that that i've uh sort of battered around. I played a little bit of high school football, and uh, a lot of my friends did as well. Um, will there still be high school football in 20 years, do you think?
1: Yeah, so I'm assuming you're kind of alluding to the concussion issues, right? Sure. There, um, as well as maybe some of the other safety issues. So I think that, you know, I have a little bit of background with concussion, um, so I can speak to this a little bit. I'm certainly not an expert in concussion, but um There are, I think some of the, probably the way that a lot of medical uh, practitioners are thinking about this is that, um, so obviously CTE is something that's gotten a lot of attention, right? Chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is a a tau disposition in the brain um, associated with repetitive hits to the head. and we're not really sure if it's driven by just the actual numbers of concussions that people have or if it's the subconcussive blows, for example, that a lineman would get hit multiple times or have hundreds of hits over the course of a season, if that would be associated with um, this buildup of this protein that's called tau that's in the brain. And so um, the question is, how is that gonna change football? Well, football's already changing for sure. And I think there are gonna be some more rule changes that are gonna limit um, how people play the game. And um, I think overall that these things are are probably good for the long-term health of of the athlete. I will say that there is a camp out there that that kind of thinks that if this was such a big deal, right, why don't we have a bunch of 45-year-old, 50-year-old individuals who are walking around with dementia, for example, which is kind of a precursor to that kind of brain disease. Um, And so, yeah, I think that, but we're also for, good or bad we're getting better at building athletes right we are bigger faster stronger nowadays than we were um, several years ago so i think that's kind of an, an, an not a clearly understood factor of how that's going to kind of factor into everything so um yeah so that's a great question and fortunately the academic answer is it depends right <laughs> we don't know but we think that we know that the things that are happening nowadays are for example the WIAA implementing rules where um you know, only going down to one practice a game or limiting the number of hits that people can, can sustain during the year, those are all good things for player health over the long term. And so um, as long as they're done judiciously and they're done with, with evidence uh, rather than with, you know, just kind of, um, you know, word of mouth or kind of belief, then I think that's probably a good thing for the game. So I think there's still going to be football. I don't know what it'll look like. It might be a little bit different,
6: though. Um. Eric, from your perspective, um, dealing with officials, hiring officials, training officials, how, how much chatter uh, goes on about the, the new rules of football or just what needs to be maybe whistled now that wasn't a generation ago?
3: Officials, obviously, are being given some guidance from the National Federation and the WIA as far as uh, rule changes, things like that. Um, I believe many of the officials in the sport of football are of a certain generation. They go back to the old, old school. So I think there's a, a learning curve for uh, adjusting to the new rules and the safety measures, um, I think. But I think pretty sure that everyone's conscious that, that uh, safety has to be given higher consideration than, you know, maybe it was even a decade ago.
6: Uh, Jeremy, at the at the school side of that, um, how engaged in a discussion about what yeah, you football know, I think, might? You know, end we're up very lucky like
5: a, um, being where we are in terms of having resources like at the UW, whether it's Dr. Ballard or Dr. McGuine or whoever might be doing some studies that actually focus on our athletes and are extrapolated to the, the national component. But also, this goes to all of our contact sports, whether it be football or soccer or wrestling or hockey or the myriad of ones where we kind of have that that interaction. We're in a great spot, the WI has been proactive with some concussion insurance to make sure everybody can be comfortable that they're being, receiving appropriate medical attention, if they do have concerns. Um, we're really on the front edge of that in this state and in this area, so I think, you know, the, con- the con- discussion's ongoing. Um, it's always in the back of the mind, but I think what we're doing is finding best practice, just like we would in all of our sports and, and making sure we're doing things, you know, with intention um, before we make a, a drastic change in anything.
6: Uh, tell me a little bit about participation. Has that has participation been affected by the, the discussion um, you about know, it football safety? From, 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 from school from to school, even
5: whether we're talking about just the Madison schools or the area ones. And I think a lot of it comes down to not only with coaches being able to recruit, uh, train, and, and retain them, but to also do the same thing for players and parents. Can we recruit uh, players and parents, whether it's football or any other sport? Can we train them to do it properly, safely, and understand it? And do they want to stay back and do it uh, like coach said because it's fun and we were building the community around it and we have not seen drastic drop in participation uh, either at the high school or youth levels in fact a couple of our schools have actually increased numbers uh, in football recently
1: This is just anecdotal, but I thought I saw the Par- pop Horner participation was down about 20 percent in Madison and kind of across
5: the board is that? Yeah, there's a couple of different leagues now, so that's what differentiates it. Okay. Um, and you've got a couple of uh, youth organizations playing flag a little longer.: Gotcha. So numbers-wise, it just kind of depends. High school numbers have actually increased, yeah. which is a little bit of an anomaly um, for Madison compared to some of our other surrounding areas right now. Um, But a lot of that is kind of what I think I fell back on, is we are kind of on the front edge of this and educating people about, you know, what's going on and how we can best approach it.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting trend, too, because I think the National Federation data high schools supports that, that high school sport participation has actually increased over time. Um, But that's kind of juxtaposed to youth sport participation, which has shown that in a lot of those youth sports, you know, before you get to high school, those participation rates are, are actually dropping. It's sports specific. So for example, in some of our traditional sports like soccer, that might be going down, but in other sports, for example, like lacrosse has seen a huge increase in the number of sports participation rates. So it's a kind of a mixed bag,
6: but. if there are parents here, they might agree with me on this. Look, like lacrosse eats other sports. Like kids just start playing lacrosse and then they stop playing everything else. I think it's like one of those cultural kinds of things. Um, Eric, you mentioned, um, how a lot of, uh, of your officials who work football games are of the, of the old school. And that brings me, um, to, to a question about recruiting officials. We, we see the, we see the commercials from the WIAA during, uh, tournaments. We hear about it on a, on a national, um, angle that, uh, it's, it's tough to recruit officials. Are you seeing that locally? And and why do you think that might be?
3: Well, I think it, it definitely depends on the sport, um, If you're a gymnastics judge, you can pretty much write your own ticket and judge meets every night, there is a meet. If you're a a basketball official, we have an abundance of officials in basketball, so it it varies by sport. But in general, I'd say the recruiting, um, it's not trending in the right direction, the number of officials across the board. And there's, I'd say there's multiple factors involved. uh, officials are aging out and not being replaced at the numbers that they're aging out. Um, The economy, believe it or not, when the economy is doing well, officials maybe don't need that extra 50 bucks as much as they did when they were laid off from a job. And then there's the generational aspect, which my kids are part of, so I can feel free to uh, snipe at them a little bit, but uh, it's it in the old days it was a commitment to sort of work your way up, work freshman, JV, and varsity. And maybe nowadays that's not necessarily the case with younger officials, they want to go right to the top. You've probably heard that in other aspects too of life, but um, so that and then uh, just no one's getting rich to be as an official uh, whether it's 40 bucks or 60 bucks or 100 bucks um, some officials just choose to do other things with their their time so I, I don't think there's an uh an increase in any sport you know there there may be some pockets here and there but there's concern uh, that the numbers are not matching the, especially as participation numbers go up
6: um. I've, I'm starting to get to some questions here from the audience, and I have a number of reactions to uh, Coach Green's remarks about how, you know, when you take your teams to the Middletons or the Sun Prairies, I mean, these are these are schools that, that don't just have, um, you know, some fancy athletic facilities. They have straight-up fancy schools. Sun Prairie is an amazing facility. Um, Jeremy, maybe you can talk a little bit about sort of the economics of how programs um, like Sun Prairies can – you know, build an artificial turf baseball stadium and perhaps a competitive yeah, disadvantage. I mean, I think the Madison only disadvantage we're
5: really with working with is, is the lack of the abundance of land uh, to replicate some of the things that they're doing. Um, they voted yes on referendums. So uh, those of you Madison voters out there, whenever you see one, I encourage you to vote yes. Whatever it's for, uh, if we can support education, that's a good thing. Um, but I think the other thing that, you know, we're starting to capitalize on as a, as a necessary thing is Finding partnerships and sponsorships to help maybe support some of these things, not only for the school, not only for extracurriculars, but part of the curriculum, but also for the community to be able to access and use. And that's some of the models that happened in, in Sun Prairie. And as you look at the referendum in Verona and, and some of those things as they come up, we've made some really great gains um, with our athletic facilities here in the last few years in terms of upgrading some facilities we've got a schedule and a long-term plan to kind of address some of our concerns we just recently did an assessment um, to kind of recognize what we need to do and we're able to kind of put a triage in there with it and you know i'm encouraged that we're going to be able to stay storied in the tradition that we have i think you know you you say some prairie is a beautiful building i'd argue east is a beautiful building And, and we can find a way to really you know celebrate the tradition that we have madison as a whole have the, the top two schools that have the most state championships uh, in the state of Wisconsin. Um, we have story tradition here, and I think celebrating it and staying rooted in our past is really important, and just finding ways to make sure we're intentional about finding safe and appropriate facilities. I think a, a nice small gym that people can be there is a great place to watch a game, uh, as opposed to maybe a large field house. Or, you know, I think having the intimacy that we have with some of the things that were built, whether that was 50 or 60 years ago or 100 years ago and finding ways to better repurpose them is a great thing to celebrate, too.
6: I would agree. I'd rather watch a basketball game at East High School, I think, than just about anywhere else. Uh, Talking a little bit about um, maybe uh, an underappreciated byproduct of playing athletics in high school is learning how to exercise developing a true love of kind of keeping yourself physical, f- physically fit and appreciating, um, you know, competition going forward into adulthood. Um, do you think schools do a good job of, of sort of nourishing just that, just fit the, you know, a love of fitness and of, of keeping yourself uh, healthy, you know, into adulthood? Anybody who wants to take Man, that? I think that's Ken. why we
5: see the rise in our participation numbers and things like cross-country and swimming and some of our fitness-based sports. Obviously, Madison, whether it's the CrossFit Games or the Iron Man or, you know, all the different races and, and activities that we celebrate as a community that plays into, you know, what we're seeing as, as our athletes' participation, too. But, you know, with our participation rate, over half of our, our students come through as high school athletes. Um, obviously, we want them to develop some lifetime Uh, interest and passion for it. And hopefully they can give back as officials or come back and do studies and help us make the better athlete or or participate and learn from that. But I I really do think we're doing a nice job of giving everybody an opportunity to learn how to be fit um, and and learn why it's valuable and to find a fun way to do it.
6: Um, Alex, the game you coach is a a game that... um, is for a lifetime. I I shared earlier, I'm missing my spring league ultimate game tonight. Um, And that's a sport that I never played as a, as a kid. Uh, Do your athletes talk about that? They they want to move on with this sport, something that they want to play into adulthood.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, Ultimate is one of those communities that you can play when you're six and you can play when you're 60. Um, And especially in Madison, we just have such a big, um, rec league as well as, um, kind of that elite scene, um, that any, anyone can play at any level. Um, and yeah, I, I've seen my high schoolers, um, and our program just grow because of that. And, um, yeah, my girls kind of going off to college and being excited about that. And then being able to come back to Madison, um, after college and playing as an adult. Yeah, that's really good.
6: Again, I think maybe, perhaps there are more people here who know about ultimate, um, than I'm guessing, but, um, you have athletes who pick colleges based on how good the ultimate team is there, right?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um, especially in the Midwest, we, um, yeah, the college scene um, is, yeah, is flourishing. Um, whether it's playing um, uh, men's, women's, or mixed, um, yeah, our athletes are, um, yeah, are loving it.
6: Mm-hmm. Will, do you still <laughs> I do, play basketball? I
4: do. Um, my knees are a little bit sore from all the concrete. You know, that's one thing we don't see a lot. Um, you know, I come from Gary, Indiana, and I used to, you know, me and my friends would get in a car and drive around to find every court where we can take our five and get after people. And um, I see a lot of basketball courts in, in Madison uh, empty without that. And, you know, all it takes is that ball, that one ball to get people to go play. And so, um, you know, um, I think kids staying healthy, is it, it's it's about the relationship of the coach, too, you know, in in sport, um, you know, just, for instance, track, you know, I'd see a lot of girls, um, a lot of my players are out and, uh, you know, you got to stay pretty in shape <laughs> to do that. And so, you know, um, they're always striving for that personal best and trying to like beat that that next time. And so I think it comes down to a lot of whatever we doing in, in this world it comes down to relationships, right? Um, how do you build those relationships? And, um, you know, your athletes can trust, uh, you need to go to sleep. You need to not burn the candle at both ends of the stick. You need to like get some sleep and, uh, you need to eat and eat right. So, um, it's all about personal relationship, I think too, when it mm-hmm. comes to the coach and the athlete.
6: Um, I wanted to go right back to you, um, in talking about club sports and AAU because basketball perhaps is the, is the sport that we think of the most when we think about the effect that AAU has had, um, our kids who are really active in AAU um, and who are really trying to get that Division I scholarship, are their goals at odds with your goals as a, as a coach of a varsity high school team? Are they stepping out on their teammates at that point? How, tell us about the challenges of it's dealing def- with that.
4: It's definitely a challenge. Um, um, you know, if a, if a kid on, on the basketball team is not, you know, getting fulfilled um, with what they want on the basketball court, Um, from the high school team, they often will go to the AAU and use that space as their sanctuary to be like, this is better than the high school team. Um, You know, I've had kids that go through the whole season, you know, a senior that used the AAU circuit and I had no discussions with the college college coach (laughs) and they facilitated that all through their AAU, Um, you know, Career and so, it's it's um, it's it's definitely a challenge, man. It's definitely a challenge because a lot of kids often the pay to play comes into play, and um, that all ultimately translates into high school. And then when it don't work in that in that way, um, it can create a, a negative culture. So um, you know, there's some good A U programs out there. There's some good coaches. Um, I'm all about fundamentals. Um, and I think AAU sometimes miss that. A lot of kids just play games instead of working on their fundamentals and what, what they need to um, to go back to the high school level and be successful. So um, it's a challenge, man. It's a challenge. And, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to deal with that beast for a long time to come. So,
6: Eric, you can maybe talk about this from the soccer perspective because clubs are every bit as influential in, in the soccer world, right?
3: Yes. Um, I know you're a soccer fan, Jason. Uh, around the world, soccer is the sport of the masses. In this country, it, in many parts of the country, it's the, it's an upper-middle-class sport um, just by its nature, the, the pay-to-play model. Um, I was just reading some uh, information from uh, a handout that came through the Georgia State High School Athletic Association was co-authored by Bob Gardner from the NFHS that talks about the the whole scholarship, the Holy Grail, the D1 scholarship. Um, Less than 2% of high school athletes ever get any level of a D1 scholarship, and the average is across the nation is about $10,000, which is anybody that has kids in college know that's not gonna cover a a tremendous amount. Um, but again, I earlier was mentioning the, the expectations about chasing that dream of a, of a college scholarship and the money spent to get to that point um, in many cases could be used more wisely. Um, another number that was jumped out was there's about $3 billion in athletic scholarship monies that there's $11 billion in academic scholarship money. So there's other ways that kids can figure out how to, to play to, to get to college. But there's a lot of prestige and a lot of um, notoriety by saying I got a scholarship, an athletic scholarship. So I think that drives a lot of the, the, the pay to play model, certainly for the, for the parents that, have, that can get the checkbooks out and write the checks.
6: That segues uh, nicely into a question I have here. Um, Someone wants us to discuss the important connection between students participating in athletics and academic achievement. um, Yeah, a couple Uh, years
5: ago we we did a pretty in-depth study uh, for our district and kind of saw some of the the differences matching alike students and and their one differentiator being if they participated in high school athletics or not. And, And the findings were pretty drastic in terms of increase in um, grade point average decrease in attendance and behavior issues, and, and I think that you know the small one that focused in on our MMSD schools is reflective of all the data that we get to see come out through uh, you know our national federation and and celebrating the connection. And you know it is a chicken or egg question. Um, those that want to be connected to the school, if this is the way that they're connected, they stay connected. And there are many ways to do that, but I think this is the one that that oftentimes is what grabs them. Um, and I think the idea of having additional adult educators that are looking out for them as both a student and an athlete. Uh, the more people that we can put in support and advocacy for all of our students, um, adding a coach, adding a mentor, adding uh, you know, the assistant coach or the volunteer that does some tutoring because they built the relationship with the student or whatever it may be, that's really you know, the biggest benefit. The metrics come out great. Um, you know, I think those metrics you know, were, were almost staggering. I knew it was good. But when you saw the the complete difference that when you match alike students and the one variable that changes was their participation in high school athletics and the dramatic change for the positive. um, you know, it's it's really hopefully that's the reward people like like Will and and you know, Alex see is you're doing things that are making kids better students. The athletics is is a byproduct of, of what we're really doing for the kids.
6: Um, David, have you seen uh, any research that reflects what Jeremy's talking about on a national level, on a wider level?
1: Um, he's spot on, right? I mean, I think that that is exactly what MSSD found was is being reflected across the, the country, that there are just so many positives associated with athletic participation. Um, jumping back to the to your earlier comment, too, I was just kind of thinking that, you know, one of the things we have to be a little careful here is that in a place like Madison, you have a lot of opportunity outside of the school. And that's not going to be true across the state, right? Especially in rural communities, for example, um, where high school participation in athletics might be one of the only avenues where kids can actually go out and participate in athletics. Um, And so I think that's even more important. Um, You know, we hear from parents a lot and from kids a lot, you know, it's still a really big deal to make your high school team, and people want that, right? And when we go away from that, I think that's going to be a problem, right? If we're going to not offer baseball because it's cold in Wisconsin, right, and, and we're going to drive those kids off to participate in summer leagues and in, in club leagues, like I think that would be a really sad thing to, to, to happen. I want to make sure that the kids have the opportunity to play sports you know, for their high school team because it is, it's still something that people hang on to for the rest of their lives.
6: Um, not only is the sports landscape changing, but the education, public education, sort of the traditional, you know, 1,500-person uh, city high school, uh, that model in, in many places around the country is changing with the advent of charter schools and, and specialized schools. Um, I guess we could start with Eric um, and sort of go down the row. Are there changes that, that you anticipate happening to high school sports in the next 10, 15, 20, even beyond that um, down the road?
3: Boy, that uh, I'm not sure I have a good answer for that. Um, I don't have a crystal ball, but um, there's pressure on funding every when the, the referendums do come up in Madison. Uh, um, you can only ignore leaking roofs but so long and things like that. So there will have to be some ways and there's a lot of there has been a lot of positives in Madison with benefactors and things like that to help support athletics but it may continue to shift into a a, a need for private funding to help support athletics I would say but hopefully the the model of high school athletics stays pretty much on course David if it does change I hope
1: that it changes that uh, in a way that more kids can play PE and participate in PE and that that programs don't get cut and that if the facilities do or the teams do go away that maybe there's some way that all kids can use their facilities throughout the entire year, right? For example, so we can make sure the kids are, are being physically active. I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon, right? But I think that PE on the chopping block is always something that's a potential threat. And to me, that's a really big deal probably bigger than, than high school sports.
6: You know, that was, that was on my list of things to ask about. And I'm not sure that we'll have much time to explore this in depth, but when I, when I was in high school, we had an active intramural program at my high school. I played on an intramural ice hockey team, which is, I think there were like four teams at my high school and it was, it was pretty competitive. Um, what happened to intramurals? When, when did those go away we and why, do. why don't we have them um, anymore?
5: Know, I think in, in our district we're lucky we've like... got you know, MSCR who runs a lot of our adult sports that so they are probably familiar with, do run some things in our middle schools and high schools. Um, a lot of that's again based on staffing. Do we have the right person in the school to make that connection and make people want to do that? Um, you know, I think the other piece that goes with it is unfortunately um, video games and connecting socially without having to interact personally has really driven that um, you can interact without ever ha- having to be in physical proximity with people and I'm not saying that's all negative, but I think that does to drive us away from some of those gathering things which were maybe intramural sports or you know uh, any of our after school activities yet we still see you know over a hundred clubs at each one of our four schools whether it be based upon sports or academics or debate or fine arts or things like that so so people still are thirsting for that interaction so I think I think that may be some of it. And then intramural sports, it's the same reason we don't have uh, people that want to come out and not be a star, um, which people have kind of related to is, no longer does the society value the role player as much as I think is extremely important. Um, it, it values the superstar much too much and success much too much. So no longer do people want to play for the love of the game. I'm lucky enough that you know, I don't really have a job. I get to get paid for the passion that I have. and. I, I wish that for more people, and I think we've lost some of that, and that's why we lose some of those gathering spaces. that used to be, in our generation, intramural sports, where now it is uh, an online chat room as they play a video game or um, you know, try to make a YouTube channel, whichever, which all their friends follow.
6: Um. Alex, do you have any thoughts about changes to come? Will there be um, competitive ultimate teams in every school across the land?
2: I would hope so. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing that we are seeing right now is just um, kind of goes back to the facilities um, that... Uh, yeah, uh, even just our own program. Um, while West is, has an amazing athletics program, um, the lack of space is really what gets us. Um, yeah, because we... Because we're not a varsity sport, um, we kind of get last uh, last dibs on um, on gym space. Even though we are one of the biggest, if not the biggest, sports program at West, um, just with numbers of um, numbers of students who come out to play for for our teams, um, and we win state titles um, and we go to nationals. Um, but yeah, just because of lack of space, it's. Um, uh, it's tough, and so I think that's going to be one of the biggest changes. No, that, I just that wanted needs to, to say,
4: um, you know, we are dealing with kids, you know, students, and so um, you have to like cultivate these individuals. You know, sports is scary for for some kids because they're not the star, and so um, if you don't have the self confidence and, and, and you know the self esteem to go out there and apply yourself, then you're going to have the lack of interest of kids getting involved in these sports anyway. So. You know, and that's from an early age. So we have to cultivate that. um, And it takes the individuals to engage these students and these kids in these sports and, um, you know, kind of bring that along. And and that can be lost by the wayside. So we can't forget, like, it's pretty scary for, for students to, like, be out there in front of people and doing these sports and cultivating
6: that, you know. Coach, I cannot imagine, we're just at the end of our time here, but I cannot imagine what it feels like to be a 16-year-old kid trying to hit a free throw in front of a gym full of screaming 16-year-olds. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen, and they do it over and over, don't they? Um, Thank you to everyone um, on our panel for joining us um, for a great discussion tonight. Again, a podcast of this will be available. Thanks to all of you for coming out on a beautiful night to join us. And um, we hope to see you at a CapTimes talk again very soon. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Cap Times Talks. We put these talks together about once a month or so. In the meantime, you can check out our other podcasts, including the Corner Table, The Cost of Opportunity, and another show brimming with great conversations just like this one, called Live from Cap Times Idea Fest. Please subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you may find podcasts. I'm Eric Lorenson, and thanks again for listening.